Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, a podcast where we talk about movies we watched when we were growing up. My name is Nancy. My name is Matthew. And this week, we are going to look at a couple of movies from the 90s, starring a very young Angelina Jolie. Later in the podcast, I'm going to talk about her award-winning performance in Girl Interrupted. Breakout. Real, really the breakout role that really said, okay, Hey, bam, world. She, Pay attention to this lady. She will sell tickets. Mm-hmm. She, she is a hot commodity. Mm-hmm. That is Girl Interrupted. But Matt's going to start us off with a movie that was a little earlier in her film career. Hackers. All right. So Hackers came out in 1995. I watched this on TV because I don't think I saw this when it was out in the theater. And um, I'm just going to outright say that it's not the greatest movie in the world. Um, I agree. It definitely has some shortcomings named Matthew Lillard. Um, Absolutely agree. It has, and it has not aged well. It does not stand the test of time, primarily because Hackers is about um, exactly what it's called. It's about computer hackers. The lead character, Johnny Lee Miller, um, plays, his name is Dade, and the whole like opening of the movie gives you this whole big backstory about how when he was 11, he was a super genius and created this terrible virus that shut down over a thousand companies or something like that. And it's and the the opening sequence is done in this really terrible TV movie esque kind of montagey kind of thing <laughs> with like lots of like weird slow-mo as the credits roll and everything. And it is just, it's re- like from opening minutes, this movie is kind of hard to watch. Um, and he gets sentenced to um, kind of a probation, but he is not allowed to use a computer or a touchtone phone. And this is, of course, before iPhones until, and smartphones. Until he is things. 18 years old. <laughs> Flash forward seven years later, and then the movie kind of starts where he and his mom have moved to New York. They're new in town. He's the new kid in school. And no one knows really anything about him. And he finds himself befriending other hackers, one of which is played by Angelina Jolie, who's named Kate. And it turns out the two of them have been have, you know, in their late night hacking now that he can use a computer um, have been going on each other's turf and, you know, they're hacking turf and um, <laughs> they kind of become like friendly enemies. Mm, frenemies? In the, fir- in the first, like, in the first act of the movie. And then the whole story takes this weird turn where one of their other friends hacks into a supercomputer and gets some sensitive information that about a scandal that this um, one cybersecurity um, chief played by 
whose name is um, Eugene, but he goes by the <laughs> alias The Plague. Um, and Fisher um, played, Stevens. Played by Fisher Stevens. Now, <laughs> quickly, Fisher Stevens, if you don't know who Fisher Stevens is, he's probably, if, if you are an 80s movies buff, he is famously known for for playing basically i don't know what how you would call it. he was playing an indian character in the f- two short circuit movies <laughs> it's really really poor taste <laughs> but he's also known as one of phoebe's boyfriends in friends the psychologist who analyzes the whole group oh that's right and has one of my favorite lines in that entire show where he just basically Damn, like complains about all of Phoebe's friends, and he's just like, "Define me, define me." And I just remember hearing that line, thinking like, "Yeah, this is what a psychologist would do," and this is kind of how crappy some of these people are on the show. <laughs> anyway, so Fisher Stevens is this bad guy, and he has this whole plot with his girlfriend, who is also working for a company, played by Lorraine Bracco, with horrible of Supr- blonde hair. Um. From uh, Sopranos? No. Yes. Yeah, yes. Sopranos. She Sopranos. She was a, but she's also Karen Hill from Goodfellas. She oh, yes. She plays Ray Liotta's wife from Goodfellas. Yes. yes. So anyway, they have this plot, which I'm going to tell you right now, it's called like the Da Vinci virus. <laughs> and the scam that they're doing is skimming money off of transactions just like Superman 3 and Office Space. <laughs> It's the same scam. And, well, the whole time they're trying to pin it on the hackers. And um, the main um, the main cop who is trying to stop them, played by Wendell Pierce of The Wire fame. Yep. It's Bunk from The yep. Wire. And his his sidekick, Agent Ray, played by... Singer Mark Anthony. <laughs> Lots of random names. Oh, and, and, and the plagues, like, number two guy who helps him, like, do the cybersecurity is paid, played by Penn Gillette of yep. magician fame. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, anyway, they're trying to pin it. They're trying to pin this on the hackers. So Johnny, so Johnny Lee Miller's character, along with Angelina Jolie, um, and their friends, um, one of which is played by Matthew Lillard in probably his most annoying role. Oh, I don't know. Ever. They're all pretty annoying. I don't know. But I mean, Matthew Lillard is best for me, his best role ever. Um, besides being in Twin Peaks, The Return. Let me guess. Scream. Is, nope. As the voice of Shaggy in the animated no. Scooby-Doo. Because then I don't have to look at him. I thought and he I was just hear li- him doing. I thought he was in the live action of Scooby Doo. He was, he was, but he was so good in that. Apparently, he got the voiceover oh. version too. Oh. So he's like the new Shaggy. Mm. Anyway, they do all this hacking. They try and save their friend. They try to clear the whole hacking, like clear their names, so people don't think that they're these terrible kid hackers. And eventually, they. 
shut them down. They are able to to point everything out at you know the at you know Fisher Stevens the plague. You know they they catch the plague, and well they don't catch the plague. They blame the pl- they. You know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and um. And everyone's all all nice. Oh, and while this is all going on, of course, Johnny Lee Miller's character and Angelina Jolie's character have basically this like cat and mouse kind of love affair kind of thing going on. And then at by the end of the movie, they finally hook up and start making out. So and it's just it's ridiculous and well they, they, they had you know, so many sex dreams about each other too like that was yeah they were having the... weird sex dreams about each other and everything like that but and she had another um, guy she was messing around with for most of the movie yeah but there's definitely like like why would i pick this movie if i think that this movie is not the greatest movie well i watched a lot of movies that were probably not that great but growing up but i watched it well, I'll... And, and 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 i have and i have reasons I have I have things about it that you know at the time were were kind of interesting. I I had a computer growing up. I loved a computer. I didn't really get like internet access regularly, like good internet access until like college. Yeah. You know, way after this movie yeah. came, came out. I wasn't and I wasn't a kid that like had AOL and was like chatting and all that kind of stuff. I just wasn't well, we, we talked about that, like when we did war games, you know, how how much you enjoyed playing with computers and stuff when you were a kid. Well, and in much like the like like war games, you know, it's that same kind of thing, you know, kind of being into the whole computer thing. And 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 there's a couple things I wanted to mention, you know, that stand out in this movie a little, you know, if anything can really stand out besides Angelina Jolie and um because, you know, this is, like, her first, like, full, like, she has a major part in a movie that's not a TV movie kind mm. of movie. And then after this, she did Gia, you know, the TV mm. movie about the, the model. And um, it wasn't until years later that she finally really broke out in Girl Interrupted. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess the things that there's... You know, we talked about when we talked about The Matrix, you know, back, you know, when we first really mm-hmm. started this podcast. Yeah, episode two. You know, and I mentioned um, a movie called Johnny Mnemonic, where, which also took, came out in the 90s. And the 90s, I think, had like this very huge problem. And it kind of started in the 80s, kind of like with Tron, how like Tron was trying to like show you what the insides of a computer was like. Mm. They do that in this movie a lot. Yeah. Where they have to, like, when someone is at a computer and going on the net or, like, hacking something, they're not literally, like, seeing files that they're flying <laughs> through. <laughs> and or they, spinning like, around. Like. And, like, <laughs> and, like, as files are moving and, like, electricity is going through, you don't see it, like, moving, like, cars or, like, <laughs> it, like through the air, like, there's planes going around. Yeah. No, 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 no. And I've seen, we saw that in this movie. We saw that in Johnny Mnemonic. We saw it in Virtuosity. I mean, there's a lot of, like, Lawnmower Man, all these movies that are, like, net-based or, like, you know, whatever. They all had this way of, like, visualizing, like, ooh, 
we can't just show someone sitting on a computer, typing at their keyboard, looking at a screen with lines of code going by. No, 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 no. We have to somehow give it this visualization to entertain the audience when in reality, all it's really doing is confusing and annoying the audience. <laughs> and that's why I always want to go back to something like The Matrix, who, which found like a really good way yeah. of doing that. Yeah. And whereas these other movies, they kept trying things and it just was not working. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, it didn't seem cool then. It really doesn't seem cool now, and it really just kind of dates the movie. Well, let me say one thing that I think helps this movie a lot, because I'd never seen this movie, and, I mean, I kind of went into it knowing it was going to be pretty goofy. Um, It was going to feel dated, especially when they were geeking out over, like, ooh, I'm going to put three more gigs of RAM in the machine, or something like that, you know, just... There's some computer language I'm not even very familiar with anyways, they, but... To get to give you an idea, the, in one scene, they're at Angelina Jolie's character's house. She's having, like, a house party. And the, like... The guys. Dade, Dade and, the, and Matthew Lillard and the other yeah. guys, Nikon, Nikon and, and Freak and Joey, yeah. they all go into Angelina Jolie's room and they start looking at her laptop, her like two and a half inch thick laptop. And they're looking at like, oh, my God, it's got a 28, eight megabyte per second modem. And I'm like, that is like half of the fastest speed any like a modem was that was popular at that time. This is oh my god and they she's got like floppy disks and all this yeah. stuff and yeah well i mean technology's it's, dated it's 25 it's dated. years old so <laughs> yeah um but one thing i think that helps the movie a lot and probably maybe my favorite thing about the movie to be honest with you was the music it it i mean it definitely yes. kind of transports you back to like mid 90s kind of House, house music, music, yeah. which is a lot of fun, and orbital def- prodigy. And it, yeah, and yeah. it definitely keeps the pace going. And this, this, there's very little silence in the movie. I mean, almost every scene no. has some music, which I think was actually good because it kind of keeps the energy going. And when you think about their teenagers that are doing this, um, and and the Matrix was like this was similar in this way too. The Matrix had a fairly consistent soundtrack throughout. I mean, there wasn't, but tons, it actually had, but there was more. Quiet but it actually had time. like a, it, but it actually also had like a. Like a score. Oh sure. The Matrix. This yeah. doesn't have a score. Not really. It's just using no. other music but, to. But it be was the fun. Score. I mean, I was I was definitely yeah. enjoying listening to the music, and um, can I just tell you who my favorite character is, or do you want to save that for later? Uh, let's save that for a second. Okay, but that was because I wanted to bring up because you bring up another point that I wanted. Okay, that I wanted yeah. To so talk the, so the the music was definitely something that was great. The movie's not super long, you know, it's not two hours, so that helped be, you know, that helped me get through it, even though it's goofy. Um, and, you know, the characters all together are all pretty silly. I I won't tell you who my favorite is yet. Um, I know your least favorite is probably Matthew Lillard. Oh, for sure. He's annoying. I, he's so dumb. Just edit him out. But I think, um, I mean, I... He ends I, up saving them, though. He ends up being the saving grace no. for the, for them. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think the music was probably the greatest thing about this movie, and it would be you know yeah. if if I had seen it then and if I was into it then I probably would have gotten the soundtrack, and it would have been a which, soundtrack I would have listened to over and over again. Which which brings me to one of the things I wanted to bring up. I really there like in the nineties when 
um, you know, when we were like just like looking at movies in the '90s, um, when we were living through it, there it, I think starting with probably like it might have started with singles. I want I'm gonna just say it started with singles, right? It really because that ended up having like a bunch of artists mm-hmm. that were really big at the time. Yeah. it ended up being the, it's like the grunge the, the band sound, compilation. The, the soundtrack might have sold more than the movie made in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. That really sparked something that happened in the 90s where you had soundtracks that performed better than movies because a lot of times they were just trying to, like it just seemed like they were like, "Hey, we've got this movie. Let's get all these let's get all this music on it and then at least we'll get something out of it because <clears throat> and and I can we could I can just start around reality bites that had that oh, was like love it. so that soundtrack love was it. and and and, and now music was a big part of a lot of movies at that time but like even even a movie that is that has like a huge following but like the crow like that yep. had a huge soundtrack yep. with a t- with a lot of great stuff yep. on it, um, and then you had like the movie Last Action Hero, which has like this weird cult following that I don't understand. People love it, and that's great. I don't think I've seen but it. it, but it had like all these bands on it, and 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 that just became like this weird trend where like people would go and get the soundtrack basically to get like a mix of songs. Nancy's Nancy's super guilty of this. Oh yeah. And may not have even seen the movie. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, that song's on this on the soundtrack. So maybe I'll just get that. And I'm, excuse it was like, me. It, I think I saw all the movies for the soundtracks that I purchased. But you probably did. But okay. yes, I, you did. But I, not I, everybody I, I did. have a I have a lot of movie soundtracks from the 90s. And and nowadays that seems completely asinine to do that because people would just make mixtapes or like make a playlist of all the songs they mix heard tapes? in it. When what are you talking about, Matt? Well, you know, <laughs> I know back back in my day, <laughs> get off my lawn. <sighs> but anyway, um, I just thought like like with this movie, like like you were saying, like if it wasn't for the music moving the movie forward, It'd be I mean, how it would have probably been pretty lame movie. You could look at the soundtrack and be like, well, at least I've got that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of music, at the end, when they have like the whole like, how are we going to free them and get everything? And they got all the hackers together. um, They do like this whole montage where they're showing hackers from around the world helping them. Yeah. One the there's a hacker in London sitting at like a at like a cafe table at his computer with like a with like a goatee and beard that is dave stewart from the eurythmics oh cool i saw him when i was doing my rewatch i'm like dude isn't that the guy from the eurythmics <laughs> and sure enough he's on he's he's on imdb he's he's in it nice. so and then the other music related thing i wanted to bring up is at one point in the movie they go to a club and there's like this very gratuitous concert scene with like a mosh pit and like a rap rock band and everything that is just like this really uncomfortable, terrible scene when they're trying to go meet Razor and Blade, uh, the other the hackers on TV. That whole scene, it was like cringeworthy, like rewatching this, like them thinking like it was cool to put this in this movie and it was just terrible. But yeah, I it's weird that I kind of feel like, you know, I'm rewatching this movie and it was it was I wouldn't say it was like terrible to rewatch. 
it was it was fun like pin- seeing all these things i did not notice like other actors that are in it that now i'm like oh yeah it's that guy i didn't even realize he was even in this movie but even like um i think one of the other things that kind of bothers me about this movie and it, it's no offense to him but johnny lee miller the main character i've known him mostly from train, train spotting also as sick boy also a great soundtrack Yes. Um, as Sick Boy in Train Spotting, where he has a Scottish accent. Um, he's actually English, but throughout this movie, he's supposed to be this American guy, and he's trying to hide his accent, and he's doing a very troubled job at doing yeah, it to he's, where he's, not he's a like over enunci- he's like over enunciating everything to try and it's just really awkward. Yeah. So I mean yeah, I remember I that he know. was in Train Spotting. I mean, I haven't seen Train Spotting in good fifteen plus years, but I was like, wait a second, I've seen him with a different accent. He's, he's mostly known now, like nowadays, probably he's on a show called Elementary yeah. on CBS it's like as a Sherlock like a Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, yeah, mm-hmm. character. So yeah, I think it's got Lucy Liu in it too. But yeah, I don't, so I anyway, it. it's <sighs> yeah. I mean, so hey. Is this the first yes. movie that you've selected that upon rewatch you're realizing isn't so great? Um, I'd say that this is probably this is probably the one rewatch that might have been the hardest. I mean, even even other movies that I've rewatched that are of similar produ- or worse production quality, I enjoyed rewatching m- m- probably more than this but i think also there's something about how things like the technology can really date a movie which then put like and it's not even like dating it in a way that it is interesting like watching war games and how dated the technology is there is actually a little more interesting to watch than how they try to make the the technology seem cool in this movie. Yeah. You know what, does well, that make so sense? Much, War Games wouldn't have worked without knowing clearly that it takes place in the early 80s because it was all about the Cold War and you right. needed to have the context of the United States and Russia being in a Cold War for the whole movie to work. So right. it, you have to be very aware of it being in the early 80s. With this movie, I mean... The big threat, you know, that whole Da Vinci threat was they were going to sink five tankers and create a global um, environmental environmental disaster. disaster. And I'm like, oh, how quaint. That is just (laughs) so sweet. They're worried. uh, You know, um, Lorraine Bracco is worried about um, an environmental disaster. How nice. Um, I mean, here we are with all the other, you know, environmental problems that we're having now. It's like. Oh, two five little tankers blowing up would have been like nothing compared now, but yeah, it's uh it it definitely feels dated, but again, I mean, I feel like this movie's very campy. I think it's it doesn't very campy. I don't know if it knows that it's campy, like when it came out if it knew it was going to be as campy as it was, but it I is very campy. They, I do not think it was intentionally campy. Yeah. So. And I think looking back at it, the people who made it are probably like, wow, this is really campy. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't think that was the initial intention at yeah. first, especially with like, you know, this movie came out after Jurassic Park, but you could tell like they're trying to like use the full their full budget on some of these effects yeah. <laughs> and just it's just it's sad. So <laughs> it's one sad. thing one thing I want to compare this to that's a modern thing because it involves a hacker hacking which Mr. Robot Mr. Robot which I watched the whole show I don't have you even seen a single episode of it I've never seen it Ah oh, okay There's hack there's hacking in it Well right? it's not just that there's hacking and how what you were saying the whole effect that they're doing in hackers with screens flying around and the Tron effect of like looking mm. deep inside a computer and seeing what a chip looks like or whatever they don't do anything like that in Mr. Robot but Mr. Robot has an excellent excellent score it's got this very electronic kind of 80s score that goes with it and there's a lot of suspense there's a there's a lot of layers to Mr. Robot I highly recommend it it had some bumps here and there but I just I was fascinated by it, it in fact it's kind of funny to bring it up because there are um, psychological issues that come up in Mr. Robot, which makes it kind of a good bridge to the next movie we'll talk about. But we'll get there in a minute. But as a hacking move, as a hacking show, it was fascinating because there were multiple people running around. But I think because of all the tools that are available now with smartphones and laptops that you can carry around and like bring with you to a different location so you can like be near another device and maybe download some of the information on there, that stuff feels more possible than what they were maybe doing in hackers, you know, like, um, like I would agree, you know, the, the I mean, okay. Early in the movie, once he's moved to New York and he's bored and he's just started to get back up to the hacking and his big idea is I'm going to override what the late night television programming is going to be. And you see the robots kind of competing and it's like, okay, like, yes, just let the Twilight Zone replay, you know, rerun play. Come on. That's all we want to watch. We don't need to have anything else. It just it was so silly watching the competing Machines pulling the tapes in and out, and it's like, okay. But yeah. do you even have, before we get to favorite characters, do you have a favorite scene? Well, my favorite character is Angelina Jolie in this movie. Okay. You know, just because she's probably the best acted in this movie. But, and I think my favorite scene in this movie is. Man. You don't it have to might, have one. <laughs> it might be when they're doing the whole montage of hacking at near the end where mm-hmm. they're trying where they're in like the phone booths and stuff and they're trying to like take down the plague and everything like mm-hmm. that. There's this really super cheesy effect they do during the montage where they have Angelina Jolie and then Dade's character or Dade like in the phone booth and it's like spinning 360 degrees around like while they're hacking and for some (laughs) weird reason Dade has like this like weird like eye like thing over his eye that looks like something Bubba Fett would have nice and and that is like completely useless it's just there to like hey what if we did this and like it might be cool it's it's like the equivalent of like the Nintendo Power Glove or something it was just Mm. really weird and um Anyway, it was that's probably my favorite scene. I mean, 
there's there's some like really brief gratuitous nudity in this movie of Angelina Jolie, which is probably the one reason why people who would be into this movie in like 1995, um, I'm talking about like huge nerds, probably went and saw this movie. (laughs) So um, my favorite character is Fisher Stevens. Because he's so goofy, and my favorite scene is like. Do, do you it, love? Do you love how he rides a skateboard? Oh my yeah! I mean, he's so like extremely silly and just awful. And because again, this is a campy movie, it was like, oh, I'm all in with this goofball. Um, I think my favorite scene was probably when we're first introduced to him, and it was all just kind of hearing his voice when like Penn Jillette is letting him know that uh oh, there's some hacking activity happening in our. Um, on the server, and then you hear him, you know, you hear Fisher Stevens be really loud, like, what? You know, just getting all angry and then stomping down, and it's like his big entrance. I mean, it's it's just so silly, and he's just so ridiculous. So he was he was he's, entertaining. He's pretty ridiculous. Then, like, the one, like, the scene near the end when they're they're doing like the big hack to try and get into the supercomputer like the the huge hack near the end and he's trying to stop them and he's like yelling at them like even though no one can he's just yelling at nothing yeah and you know he's like you want to come on you think you can get me now and i was just like oh my god that's just crazy yeah that 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 you reminded me because thinking of fisher stevens and his skateboard reminded me also (laughs) that almost all the characters in this movie also rollerblade why (laughs) Well, I guess I guess nowadays because it was because it was cool, Nancy. Yeah. Well, nowadays you see people with like those fold-up scooters that they like can put in their backpacks or whatever. Or not even that; they have like those like one-wheeled things that you have to balance on, okay. and it's like motorized or whatever. I mean, oh, segways, whatever. No, not, it's not even a Segway. No, Segways have two wheels. I don't anyways. know. Or the hover, or those like not hovering hoverboards <laughs> that <laughs> keep catching on fire. Oh you know. man, yeah. Well, Matt. I Alter- to, alternative ways of transportation. Come on. I, I have to tell you, <laughs> since I have certainly selected movies that we've discussed that, you know, upon reflection, I'm like, yeah, not the best movie. Um, and I fully own it, but it's still entertaining to talk about. I'm glad we finally have hit one for you because Man. It, it is pretty funny listening to you bash a movie that you've selected yourself. <laughs> Well, it's just, you know, <laughs> I, I think what it comes down to is is <laughs> there's movies out there that you need at a certain time in your life. Yeah. And then there's movies like this that you never needed. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> well, that's the whole point. And then, I mean, again, you know, we it's not like there's any real judgment about it. I mean, it's something that you remembered being important to you at one time. And, hey, why not? We why not talk about something that was once interesting. That's the whole point of this project, so. Right, right. Now I'm, now I'm even questioning if it was that important. Well, <laughs> obviously. I mean, well, think about, like, again, you were 14, 15 when you saw it. Very impressionable. You were, a, you were just a little younger than these characters. So it makes sense why it would have been appealing to you. And again, <clears throat> it's interesting to see Angelina Jolie's earliest work. Um, knowing where she's gone with her career from then on out. You know, she's... Uh, Exploded. Exactly. So, now that I have completely just re-questioned my liking of that movie and possibly other movies, uh, let's let's move on to a movie that is 
you know, I've probably this is only the second time I've watched this movie, and you know, it's it's not a bad movie. It's pretty good. It won an award, a big award, yep. and um, really helped someone's career kind of skyrocket. That's right. Nancy's going to talk about Girl Interrupted. Yep. So, like Matt was saying, this this movie won some awards. Um, came out in 1999. And a very young Angelina Jolie won for supporting actress because she's not the main character. Winona Ryder's the main character. Angelina Jolie plays Lisa. Winona Ryder plays Susanna. And we've got a lot, a lot of great actresses from the late 90s and then who became even more famous in the 2000s. Um, Clea Duvall, Brittany Murphy, Elizabeth Moss. We've got some, another Jared Leto spotting. Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg. We've got Vanessa Redgrave. We've got Joanna Kearns playing Winona Ryder's Mrs. mom. M- Mrs. Seaver? Mrs. Seaver. Correct. From um, Growing Pains. Growing Pains. Excuse me. Growing Sorry. Pains. So this is, this is a biopic, which you guys all know. I love that genre. And it's set in um, the late 60s. And the main character, Susanna, had been dealing with a lot of problems, was very depressed, and it kicks off because she claims she had a headache, so she took a whole bottle of aspirin and then followed it with a bunch of, like, a whole bottle of vodka. So it opens up with her getting her stomach pumped and then sitting with um, a psychiatrist who then basically informs her, your parents have found a psychiatric ward for you to go live in. And doesn't tell her how long she's going to be there, just that her parents had already decided this, they'd already packed a bag for her, and a cab is on its way, and you're going to go. And even though, she, even though she was 18? Yeah, she was, she'd already graduated high school, she was already, you know, legally an adult, but they just decided this for her because she was too fragile. And... So she arrives at Claymore, and, you know, it's that very typical, you know, first day kind of shock. You know, we, we saw that recently when we did Shawshank Redemption, just that kind of first day arriving at a lockdown facility. And, you know, she's meeting all these other women, or young women, who are also being treated for various different mental issues and she's kind of questioning, why am I here? <laughs> I mean, she, she doesn't really believe that she needs to be there because she's convinced again she just had a headache, she just took some aspirin, and it takes her a very long time to really understand, you know, they see it as though she tried to kill herself, and that's why she's there. But Well, and she doesn't, and she's, she doesn't feel like she ever did try and kill herself, and she clearly did. Yeah. try and kill herself. Yeah. And part of her problem is like owning that she did. Yeah. And <clears throat> and you know, she's told fairly early that mm, well, maybe like in the first third of the movie, it's revealed that they think she's bipolar. Uh, no, excuse me. Has borderline personality disorder. And all of the all of the things that she had gone through the, you know, having a hard time making really like lasting connections with people, just the utter, like the emptiness that she was feeling, 
as she kept asking all the different therapists she was working with, oh, you think I'm promiscuous, you know, just kind of this um, casual sex that she's having, um, all of these behaviors, and just her dark depression that she's in, all kind of lined up and earned her the uh, label of borderline personality. And you really, this movie really is about her journey to get well. And I really love this movie. I've seen it probably three or four times at least. And it's, in addition to being the kind of movie I enjoy being a biopic, it also, I like watching people kind of sort through their problems you know I, I i like a i mean we talked about goodwill hunting and his you know the whole therapy sessions that he would have like that's very interesting to me i think that's really really interesting but it was also interesting her learning about herself in relation to the other people that she was living with um especially angelina jolie's character lisa who is a sociopath she has been in and out of there at that point for over eight years and she's a complete monster. She is really mean and nasty to everyone she encounters. She deliberately pushes their buttons and loves... She just gets a lot of enjoyment out of toying with people. And, of course, she's toying with people who are really freaking fragile. And, you know, I know you're going to probably say she's your favorite character. I'm going to tell you right now she's not mine. Mostly because what how she behaves is just so upsetting to me to watch in a movie. It's very disturbing, kind of like what we talked about last week with the disturbing behavior in, like, Drugstore Cowboy for me. Just watching that kind of stuff, it's just like, how can she be so cruel? How can she be so mean to these, to these people that are all there to be helped? But the people who really are there that are helping Susanna... Specifically, I think like Whoopi Goldberg plays an incredibly large role um, being kind of like the main kind of like the main floor nurse that she interacts with the most. And it seems like she has her biggest breakthroughs when she's working with Whoopi Goldberg's character. Her name is uh, Valerie. And Valerie, she has a good amount of patience for Susanna, but I think she's also the one that really sets her straight and tells her, this is what's wrong with you. I mean, because the different therapists she's working with don't seem to want to just come right out and say, this is what's wrong and this is what you should do. You know, Whoopi Goldberg, towards the end of the movie, tells her, I think you're just being lazy and you're not dealing with your life. You're not just getting on with it and... You, you need to pull yourself out of this funk. You can get there, but don't don't get bogged down with all of the drama of all of the other ladies that are living there and make that part of your drama and trick yourself into staying longer than you need to. Like, you can get better, but you need to make... You need to want to get better. And I feel like it was her character that really kind of pushed her the most to do that. But then also, when she got to witness things that Lisa did to other people, specifically Brittany Murphy's character. Brittany Murphy's character... I'm not... I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to diagnose anybody, but I kind of feel like, was Brittany Murphy maybe bulimic? 
Was that probably part of her she problem? Had, she, she had some sort of eating disorder. She certainly definitely. I, that's a, that's what I got from the movie. They don't really say exactly what's yeah. wrong with her, but um, I from the the clues that they give, it sounds like she had an eating disorder. Yeah, I mean, with all the the chickens, like the thing with the chickens is just. And they wouldn't let her have like a laxative or anything like that yeah. because. Um, and I think she was being sexually assaulted. I think there there was. I mean, Lisa said that. Maybe that's not what was actually happening, but Lisa alluded to the fact that maybe um, Daisy's dad was, you know, having an inappropriate sexual relationship with his it, daughter. It could have. It could have been that 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 was all true, and the eating disorder was like a something that was like a result of that. Sure. But they don't really they don't get into specifics of her her story like they do Susanna. They, you know, it, it seemed like whatever Daisy was doing to maybe convince the hospital that she was well enough, it probably also didn't hurt that Daisy was maybe one of the most wealthy. Like came she was. came from yeah. some of the um, the wealthiest background because she was able to be set up very nicely by her father when she was out. So anyways, I mean, again, a majority of this movie takes place in the hospital. I mean, it's pretty much on, on the, on the, in the ward on that main floor, you know, you have a girl who's, you know, in dealing with incredible anorexia. At one point she says 74 is the perfect weight. You have a young Elizabeth Moss who um, had been in a fire um, that she started and was dealing with a lot of severe burns, and that was really sad. Clea Duvall's character, suppose, I guess, um, she she said she's a pathological liar, but there's probably some other kind. She is. There's probably no. some other, like, official diagnosis that goes along with that. Um, yeah. Um, maybe some kind of, like, um, delusional, you know, there's probably mm-hmm. certain delusions that she was dealing with. You know, when I saw this movie... You know, I was already in college. I Did you see it in the theater? I don't think I saw it in the theater. I, I, I think I saw it soon after it came out. So I probably saw it within a year or so after it came out. If I could go back in time, I would have gone to college to become a therapist. Like, that would have been my career path. But things don't work out that way. I don't have a time machine. Um, but I've always been very, very interested in how people deal with their demons. And... This is just a movie that's all about that. So this movie kind of checks off a lot of boxes for me. And it's a period piece, you know, it's set in the late 60s. So also, I was thinking about this tonight, watching it. I'm so curious, you know, how many young adults could have been dealing with a lot of these kind of issues simply because they were in the midst of this massive cultural revolution in the late 60s on top of the fact that the war was going on where people were just being drafted and had no control over it and just how kind of crazy making that could make a person you know not feeling like they had any kind of control over their fate you know being sent sent to die I mean they and they cover that in the movie you know Jared Leto's character comes on as one of um, Susanna's casual hookups, although I think he thought it was more than what she did because <laughs> he comes to find her at the hospital and is like, yeah, I'm supposed to go away next week. Let's run away to Canada together. And she's like, um, I want to get out of here. 
but not with you. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't even know if it was that. I thought it was just I think at that point she had realized that there is something wrong with her. Yeah. And she wanted to get help. And because she says she doesn't she says, like, why aren't we going to the cafeteria to hang out? Why? What are we doing going to your car? And it makes me think like she at no point she wasn't thinking like, I want to get out of here. She actually wanted to get better. Yeah. At that she point. She finally yeah. real. I think she'd been there over a year at that point. Maybe. Because I think she um, I think she got in around the between sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas was when she was admitted. And I I read that she was there for 18 months. So I think it in real life she was. But maybe in the movie it wasn't even near a year because she actually at one point in the movie near near the end when she's about to get out. She even says, do you think I'll be out before Thanksgiving? Yeah. So maybe they changed it for the movie. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, this apparently the original cut of this movie was three hours long. Yeah, that's too long. So um, it's probably more of the book was probably in it. Maybe, and and maybe there was maybe maybe there were more of like the therapy sessions or I mean I think since since you know it was an autobiography and what Susanna was sorting through was probably I've never read the book but I'm assuming that's got to be what a lot of the book has got to be about. Um, but then again, who knows? But yeah, Jared Leto, you know, he presents this opportunity for her to leave. And like you said, she's realized at that point, she's finally made some connections with the other women that are there, but also she's realized there's, she knows there's things that are wrong with her and she wants to get better. And, and there were also a few instances where, there were either planned activities where the nurses were included or when the girls snuck out where, again, Susanna got to really see what Lisa was like. And I think her being in that situation and seeing Lisa maybe being the most extreme example of someone who needs help um, Uh gave Susanna kind of a benchmark of like, okay, where am I in relation to this person and how messed up they are? And, and it sounds like Lisa was very magnetic. You know, she was very, she really kind of knew how to draw people in and Susanna for a long time was kind of captured by her. Um, You know, she was really taken in by her and part of her healing was, knowing how to sever that connection to Lisa so she could, you know, heal for herself and not be concerned about what was going to happen to Lisa. Um, Because when Lisa, when Lisa more or less bullied Daisy when they were staying with her, and I mean, I'm not going to say Lisa talked Daisy into killing herself because that wasn't what Lisa, Lisa had no control over that specifically, but she certainly didn't help. She pushed those buttons, and Daisy <clears throat> kind of went over the edge. And <sighs> awful. One of the things I'd say about Lisa that is part of her, part of, of you know, you said that <clears throat> she has something magnetic about her. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think it's more that she was kind of starved for being around people that she forced herself 
yeah. into people's lives. Yeah. Like Susanna, when you first meet her, she doesn't she like is like, who is that? Yeah. But she doesn't really seem like she's really interested in knowing mm-hmm. her until Lisa like barges into the room and is just like, What's your story? Yeah. Yeah. And can, repeatedly does that to people, you know, trying to get into da- Daisy's room even though it's a private room. Yeah. You know, the way she would interact with the with everyone else, then like getting the keys and making it like, "Hey, come and hang out with me. I've got these keys." And then like treats pe- the you know some of them like shit while while they're hanging out. You know, yeah. it's, it, I think there's some sort of like you know need for attention or something like that. But you know, sometimes sometimes magnetism does not actually translate to people wanting to hang out with you. It's them forcing the, them needing people around them and forcing people into their lives yeah. by acting as if they give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It happens. So, so what are some of your other takes about them over on the movie? You know, I just think it's, it's, it's well made. It's well paced. It's got, you know, it's not, I think it's a fairly, while the subject matter at times can be a little hard to hear and watch, you know, it's really well made. It's really well acted. I mean, Angelina Jolie does a really great job as this character. She plays a psychopath well. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and you know, it's just, um, she does a really great job. And, you know, this was, at the time that this movie was made, you know, there was a lot of, you know, I'm just looking online and, and when I did my research, and so many people wanted to be in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people sought to be in this movie. And, and you know, Winona Ryder, she bought the rights yeah. to the book. She's one of the and producers. And she spent, she spent seven years trying to make it. And she, like, handpicked the director and everything. I mean, she yeah. she fought really hard to get this movie made. You know, and they did, you know, the, the production on it is really good. You know, things like the the institution that they were at at Mm -hmm. was a real institution that was functioning at the time they made the movie Mm. which could not have been easy but it made it very authentic but yeah I mean there was just tons of you know it was it was the one it was a movie that was people were really wanted to be in because I think everyone when you hear that you kind of get an idea of like the quality of the movie and everything, you know, if people are excited and really want to like be part of a, of a production, they've got a, there's gotta be a lot, a lot of stuff backing that up to make people want to do it. Yeah. Granted actors want to have a job I mean, they're probably going to go for, you know, go for anything. But when everyone's like, Oh, Winona Ryder's making this movie about blah, 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 about this based on this book and word gets around and then you start hearing like, People, if you look at the list, you know, big names are that, you know, from the years, like Reese Witherspoon. She wanted to be in this mm. movie. I mean, why wouldn't... I mean, you look at the list, you're like, well, shit, all these people so probably else? would have been great in this movie. Um, let me see. Rose McGowan tried out to be Lisa. Mm. Uh, Kate Hudson, Christina Ricci, Katie Holmes, Gretchen Maul. Alanis Morissette tried to be in this movie. Um Brittany Murphy actually replaced Lily Sobieski. I mean, a lot of people, you know, that's just Brittany some Murphy of the names. Brittany Murphy was so great. Yeah, she was she was really good in this movie. I mean, a lot all the characters, you know, in it were good. Um, you feel a lot for Cle- everybody Cle- in Cle- this. 
Yeah, Clea Duvall, you know, is, was it Georgina? Mm-hmm. I think was her, her name. Her roommate. Um, her roommate. Um, she was good. You know, it's funny is like every time I see her in something, I'm like, what would I see her in? But when I watch this movie, because I've seen this other movie a million times, she is in Zodiac. Yes. She plays the 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 sister who's in jail that finally starts putting things together mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, character. But um, and then like you know the director James Mangold, like you st- you're like who the hell is James Mangold? What the hell has he done? Well, then you start looking at all the movies he's done, and holy shit, he's done a, a ton of movies mm-hmm. that. <clears throat> I mean, just just so you know, he did. This movie called Girl Interrupted. Yeah, we're talking about that one. But he did Walk the Line, your you, 310 to Yuma, Copland, The Wolverine, uh-huh. Logan. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, Ford versus Ferrari that came out this past mm. year, which is, you know, everyone gave a lot of praise to for its uh, the technology that they used for filming the, the, the races. I mean, he's prestigious. You know, so there's, you know, there's a lot of quality characters in this. And, uh, Help, help makes for a good movie, you know. Um, other than that, you know, I, you know, this is, like I said, this is probably only the second time I've seen this movie. It's not that I disliked it the first time I saw it, but at the time I had seen it, I was like, well, I don't think I need to rewatch that. <laughs> Just because of it's the, heavy. you know, it's, it's a heavy movie. But it's optimistic. And it ends on a happy note. It, it does. It ends on a really happy note. You know, she talks about at the end about, you know, because she does get out, yep. you know, about um, seeing some of the like other people that she was in there at the same time got out, too. And some of them she visited afterwards and some of them she just lost contact with. Yep. And, you know, and, and she even tells she even has like this conversation talks about like Lisa, like I hope she gets out and I hope she gets better and I hope she, they can have like a normal conversation one day. Um, And that whole scene at the end when she like goes to paint her nails and everything like that, I was like, that was a, that was a good scene. But right before all that was when, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the day. So that, that happens the day that, um, Susanna's painting Lisa's nails because she's about to leave. Like, she's being discharged that day. But the night before, as a nice little going-away gift, Lisa decides to steal the journal that Susanna's been keeping. And Susanna has said from the very beginning of this movie, what I want to do for my career is be a writer. And she's getting all these rolled eyes whenever, you know, any adult, you know, anyone who's older than her is asking her, well, what do you want to do with your life? I want to be a writer. And they just don't get it. So it's not a shock that one of her therapeutic practices and he, you know, to heal is to write a lot. Like clearly she's going to be writing a lot and guess what? You write about what's in front of you. And like she was, like we were saying to help kind of figure out her problem, she was maybe trying to gauge it against the other women in the, in the place. So they became something she would, you know, write about here and there. Well, Lisa decides to, you know, read a lot of the things that were said to um, probably the three that three people that she was closest to, um, Polly, played by young Elizabeth Moss and Cleo Duvall, and then there's Lisa. And Lisa has this breakdown where she's like, you know, I don't know why people don't want to push my buttons. Why isn't it, why isn't anyone telling me what's wrong with me, you know, and like, why am I so neglected? That's the freaking word that she used. Well, and, and again, that's that's the 
that's the I you know wanting attention yep. thing you know it's you know she wasn't necessarily you know the popular kid because she was popular maybe she was the popular kid because she was loud and obnoxious and got in people's face yep. and you know she had little things that made her seem cool that you know getting the keys breaking them all out you know to have a fun time and then but you know was not always the nicest during that time well susanna answers her and says she's talk she's toxic at that point she's just kind of a talk she's like she's a toxic friend she's great (laughs) she's ultra ultra toxic yeah so um so who's your favorite go ahead who's your favorite character whoopi goldberg me too. I'm pretty. I like. I was debating. Is it going to be Susanna or Whoopi Goldberg? But I think ultimately Whoopi Goldberg for me also. It was Whoopi Goldberg, and then she really anchors that, the movie. I mean, especially when, oh, especially yeah. when that one scene where Susanna is just so vile to her, and oh, yeah. they have that confrontation, and then after after everything happens with Daisy and Susanna is back, and. She apologizes. She apologizes to her. It's like, oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I like Whoopi Goldberg in this movie. And then my favorite scene, um, I think probably um, because it's the most empowering scene for, like, the whole group is when they go to the ice cream shop. Mm. And the the woman who uh, Susanna had had a fling with her husband confronts her. And tells her, like, I hope you never get out. And then Lisa um, kind of instigates a whole thing where all of them start, like, barking at her and, and like, just yelling at oh, her and everything like that. Yeah, good old Mary that Kay scene, <laughs> That That was a, um, a, a great scene. Um, well, and, uh, well, the fact that the fact that Susanna had such an um, inappropriate love affair with an older person who really took advantage of her. That's, I think... Dude, she, she, was, she was raped. Let's just call yep. it... Like, like, I'm pretty sure she was raped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that also kind of um, lines up with the borderline diagnosis, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, blame it on her. Give me a goddamn break. I mean, she's yeah, a, she was a freaking husband. kid. She was... Yeah. Ugh gross but no that that's a great scene and and i loved that right when mary Kay place comes over to her to start talking about her, the first thing our favorite character whoopi goldberg turns to her and is like susanna are you okay and she's like yeah yeah, yeah. but then then everybody else kind of starts fighting on her behalf and making them uncomfortable yeah. and makes them leave so i think she yeah she was okay bonnie's mom was not okay oh, <laughs> um i I'm not sure what my favorite scene was. I mean, it's really hard to watch, but the confrontation with Daisy and Lisa and Susanna laying on the couch, like that whole moment was so intense. I liked that a Mm. lot, but I also do like, like what I was just saying where, um, Susanna apologizes to Whoopi Goldberg, that scene too, because she's just had some major breakthroughs at that point. Because I think it's from yeah. then on out where she really, she stopped um, resisting the, you know, yeah. the, the therapy yeah. and really digging deep. Because Whoopi Goldberg's character says, you need to start telling your doctors what you just told me. And she's like, I can't. Right. She goes, you just did. <laughs> you said it very clearly yeah. a minute ago. That's what you need to tell them. Uh, well, she has a hang up against her doctors and yeah. um 
in one of the there's a scene where um because one of the doctors is jeffrey tambor yeah and um i because it's jeffrey tambor the entire time he's like what is wrong with you? And I keep thinking to myself, my problems are in the banana stand. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the banana stand. <laughs> That's all I kept. Every time he came on screen, I mean, I know he's done. Yeah, he's, like, he's other problematic things after that. Yeah. And I, I know he's done things after that. But whenever I think of him, it's not even Mr. Mom. I just think of the banana stand. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great in that show. Um, but yeah, no, no, I, I, I did not mind rewatching this and, um, my wife, you know, she was kind of hesitant because, um, she didn't know if like with everything that's going on now, like how she would feel watching this movie. If it would be a real big um, downer. She, yeah. Mega downer. And, um, but you know what? It actually ended up not being bad for her to watch or for me to watch. So. I, I enjoyed it. So you would say that you enjoyed watching this a little more than Hackers? Um, it was actually, like, I was definitely more engaged watching this movie than I was Hackers, yeah. only because, A, I had, I'd probably seen Hackers more than twice. Mm. And, um, you know, throughout the years. And just, like, I was finding more things wrong with it than I was <laughs> finding <Yeah>. things <laughs> things that I enjoyed about watching Hackers, whereas this one, I just kind of, like, it's not my movie, so I'm just kind of watching it to have this discussion, yeah. but at the same time, you know, you didn't pick a movie that was as bad as St. Elmo's Fire, so I could, you know, it made it easy to watch. Mm. Well, I'd, re- I'd rewatch this movie. I mean, I don't need to rewatch it again anytime soon, but it's... I'm really surprised you haven't... Well, I wanted to ask you two things. First, I'm... I'm not that surprised, but I am kind of surprised that you haven't read the book. I don't necessarily read um, a ton either, Matt. Well, I know you don't, but considering what the background of this book is and, you know, what you were saying about if you could go back in time, you'd be a, you'd be a psychologist and all that, and it being a, a true story and everything like that, I'm actually kind of surprised you haven't, you know, tried to to force this one into your brain yeah. as far from by reading it. I've seen the movie. Um, the other... The other thing, well, maybe the movie's not entirely <laughs> accurate. My wife has read the book, and she said it, the book was better than the movie. Oh, okay. So maybe she'd give it a try. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, and I've we've brought this up um, at least once, maybe more than once uh, throughout our show. You also journal. Yeah. And um, I was curious, like, and you don't have to give anything away, but Dear how Jerry. would... <laughs> no, but... Like the scene was the scene when Lisa took the journal and started reading it like a little more kind of triggering for you as if oh. like how it would feel if someone took oh. your journal oh. and started reading oh, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> felt violated on Susanna's behalf. I mean, it's just it's it's a, the greatest betrayal. I mean, no one should be reading someone's journal without permission, period. And really, no one should be reading anybody's journals but the person who's writing them, period. I mean, unless you're some famous writer that, you know, wants them published for, you know, like an archival kind of, pro, you know, thing. But no, no, I yes, you are correct, Matt. That was a triggering experience. But honestly, by then, I was so feeling kind of beat up 
by all the shit that Lisa was doing in this movie that was like, oh, yeah, there's one more thing. And and, and she hadn't even crushed her hand in the door yet. That was still a moment later yeah. to come. It was like, God damn it. Susan just Susanna just wants to get out of here alive. Like, let her go. Yeah. Well, and it really took that moment to, like, really push her to finally, like, because even at one point they say, like, why don't you stand up for yourself? Like, she, like she doesn't stand up for herself, which is why, like, maybe she got in some of the situations she did before she went to the um, to the hospital and while yeah. she was at the hospital. You know, you know, she doesn't stand up for herself. But um, I was going to say, like, you're like, no, no one should read this. And then I thought about, well, like, what if you're what if you're what if you're dead? And then someone reads your journal. And then I thought about it for and like just as you said that. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You don't want that either. Like you want like that to be like written down and then be like like it's written and then ceases to exist almost because almost because it's kind of like once you write it, it's that therapeutic part of writing it. And then it's just you have it down to kind of help you get through that moment and organize your thoughts, you know, but what if like you're gone and. I read your journal and then there's something that you have written about me that might affect my my memory of you and then that would ruin Matt it. That really so it hurt my be- feelings when we <laughs> argued over Jerry Maguire. What a jerk face. No. Well, um. that's on, that's on a that's 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 in stone. I'm sorry. That's in stone. Um, but no, my point my point you know you know what yeah. I mean? It's kind of like it's kind of like when I like there's times where I'm really angry at like work or something and I'll write an email and then I reread it and then I just delete yeah. it because I don't need to send exactly. it exactly because I've I've it's like I've vented it yeah. out but then you're also kind of assuming that the only reason to journal is to say bad things no you know absolutely maybe, not yeah and which it which it shouldn't be you know it's no. about it's it's about just kind of documenting your day yeah. or your thoughts on whatnot yeah. I'm not trying to get you to reveal anything but it's funny <laughs> you mentioned like the whole kind of process and like what are they there for why would you keep them or what or um what would you do with them and i actually um i have read different like professional organizer people comment on things and there's one person that says that she doesn't keep journals like she'll write them and she she's she writes them and but i don't remember like the length of time in which she decides it's worth keeping any previous years worth of journals like she gives herself she gives herself a set amount of time to keep a journal and then she like disposes of it and for me because Hmm. as we've discussed and i had this discussion earlier today um i don't think i would ever want to get rid of them simply because if there was something i wanted to remind myself of that had happened at you know, 10, 20 years ago, it's like, okay, let me go to the records. Let me look that up or whatever. Like, there's something about just the, uh, the logging. It's a documentation. The, yes, like, it's a logging. Yeah. yeah it's like um, a logging of, of events. But, you know. you know, everyone has their own, um, process. I mean, I certainly haven't been journaling as much through this, uh, self quarantine business as I probably should since so much crazy shit's been happening. But, well, that's the other, you know, that's the other like, reason why I kind of, I mentioned it. Well, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's like, since every day feels very similar from one to the next, it's almost like there's not a lot of differentiation. So it's almost like, what yeah. do you say? What do you write about? It's, 
you know, day 50-something now of us being isolated. What's new? Yeah. <laughs> Other than tomorrow's well, Mother's that, Day. That's about the yeah. highlight. It's funny that you mention that because, like, I just got a, I got an email the other day from, from from Kaiser. You know, they send me send out newsletters, mm-hmm. and they've been doing it pretty frequently during this whole oh, yeah. nightmare. And um, one of the things they talked about, like, in, it was like, read this article about journaling, mm-hmm. you know, and how how it can help like your mental health yeah. or whatnot. And, and um, it's not something that I do. Yeah. It's not something that I've, you know really thought about doing it's like i said you know a lot of times it's like write something out and then i just throw it away it's like because i just had to get Mm -hmm. it out um but you know it's something that is being recommended and that's clear and you clearly see that in this movie where they basically kind of like you see you see Susanna writing things occasionally but when she starts when when lisa lee is gone and she really starts making progress to getting better She's like feverishly writing, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it clearly was something that was um, something that she needed and something that um, it was all part of her kind of DNA anyway, because she wanted to be a yeah. writer. So and, you know, it also could also been like a device to like have this like montage of her writing to kind of just show like, oh, yeah, by the way, the movie you're watching is based on the book, probably based on a lot of the notes she just took in this journal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, well, the book anyway. wasn't written until the nineties. The book didn't come out until ninety three, so it was a good. Well, so she probably would have needed this journal yeah, to remember. It, it everything, was a good twenty five plus years later when she finally wrote her autobiography. Anyway, I thought that I was curious what you, yeah. how you, the connection yeah. to that that you might have. Absolutely, I mean, been a journal journal keeper since I think I was in sixth grade, so. Tons of years. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I, I don't really have anything other questions or anything else to say. I've more or less expressed my final thoughts. Final thoughts. You'd like this movie. Yep. You'd watch it again. Yep. It's And, and it, it doesn't seem dated to me the way that Hackers does. I mean, it's clearly a well, period it's, piece. It, it's clearly a period piece, yeah. I really like movies set at this time. Yeah. I think we both enjoy things from the 60s or late 60s. I think with that, we want to just take a second real quick. Um, this is going to officially drop after the fact, but to all the moms out there listening, we hope you had a great Mother's Day. Uh, we're yeah. recording this the day before Mother's Day. Um, you know, hope everyone's doing okay. Again, this has been a, a long month and a half. We're, we're all almost two months we're still uh, watching our movies and enjoying recording, keeping things going. But, you know, we hope everyone's doing everything they can to stay sane and keep themselves occupied and, you know, staying healthy. Ditto. I, I concur with that, <laughs> with that statement. No, get sick. No. no. Break all the rules. No, no don't do that. No. no. Wear a mask. Get some exercise. Get some sleep. Write down. If you start stressing out, write down your thoughts. Just don't let Lisa get your journal because that would really suck. No. Just just write it down. Read it over. Throw it away. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you need. Maybe you just need. Maybe you just need to hear two kids, crazy kids, ramble on about movies that they used to yeah. watch. I mean, and and please take heart. We've got 
several more episodes planned. We we do not plan on running out anytime soon. <laughs> no, no. And Nancy keeps adding movies to this I list. I do. That, like, it's it's unbelievable. I have I have a lot of catching up yes. to do. But we're good. We're good for for a good amount of time. All right. So. Anyway, my name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This is Fighting Over the VCR. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. 